Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast here on this Thursday morning. I'm Eric Kane with Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Brent Hubbs. Appreciate you guys for joining us here. As always, like this video, subscribe to the channel on YouTube if you uh, wouldn't care. That helps us out an awful lot. And uh, big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Exterior Home Solutions, who make this possible for a free estimate. Go ahead and give them a call over at 865-524-5888. Got a lot to get into here today. Let's go ahead and hit it running. This is from Volfan Attic. Do you think Georgia, Alabama, or Tennessee takes a step backwards after replacing both their starting quarterbacks and OCs, who will be impacted the most, Austin Price? Well, it'll be Tennessee. I mean, their roster is not, you know, um, it's not as deep as the other two. Um, that's not to say the other two can't be affected, but everybody thought Georgia was going to fall back, you know, a year ago after they won the first national title, and all they did was go out and go undefeated and win another one. So, I mean, you know, it, not to say that Tennessee's going to have this huge drop-off, but, I mean, Tennessee's got some – real key pieces to replace i think the you know the loss of jalen hyatt and cedric tillman won't nearly be as felt as the loss of byron or not byron but darnell wright and and some of the other losses jerome carvin who was just kind of steady eddie hubbard uh, you know again tennessee's you know roster is just not where alabama and georgia are have been you know and tennessee's trying to get there it's getting better but it's just not there yet yeah, this, this goes to the age-old question of X's and O's versus Jimmy's and Joe's when, when you look at this question because the one thing Tennessee has going for them compared to the other school, two schools, Alabama and Georgia, is their identity on offense is clearly defined and clearly cemented. They know exactly what they want to do offensively. Now, do they have all the horses to do it? You know, that that's we'll see, um, you know, because Joe Milton's got plenty of talent, but can he play like Hendon Hooker did? Alabama, what are they going to morph into? What are they going to become offensively with Tommy Reese, who nobody at Notre Dame was was heartbroken when he left. They may be a little more heartbroken now because they can't seem to, to hire a, an offensive coordinator as they're now interviewing in-house candidates uh, to promote from within. Uh, but what are they what do they want to be on offense? Where does Nick Saban want to take them offensively? And then at, at Georgia, um, Mike Bobo is a guy that has a reputation, Rob, of not being the most dynamic guy on offense, but he hasn't worked with the talent that they're working with at Georgia, particularly on the offensive line. So it's a little bit of, of an apples and oranges type thing because Tennessee wins the category of scheme between those th two or three schools, but I don't think they win. The, they, they certainly don't win the category of talent at this point. No, and that's, you know, we talk about it all the time, and that's what it looks like when you've been stacking top five recruiting classes on top of one another for, you know, five years, in Kirby's case, a decade. 
in Nick's case, I mean, it's just there's just no comparison to roster depth. I mean, Tennessee doesn't have one recruiting class in the last 10 years like Alabama has had every year in the last 10 years. Yeah, I will say this, though. If if Bryce Young's not playing for Alabama, they may have lost four games last year. It's true. I don't disagree with that at all. So the question is, what do they have? Because because if it's Ty Simpson or whoever it's going to be at the quarterback position, they're going to need more help than Bryce Young did. Bryce Young created and bailed a lot of people out of trouble. Does Alabama have enough help around whoever the quarterback's going to be to take a lot of pressure off of him? Because basically Alabama turned to Bryce Young and said, go win us a football game. And he did more times than not. But, you know, where are they with the rest of the receiver spot? Georgia shouldn't take a step back at all when you look at the receiver transfers they've got in and a bunch of people wanted a different quarterback instead of Stetson Bennett, right, Eric? I mean, that they, I mean, from a talent standpoint, that they should be better offensively than they were a year ago. Yeah, uh, and I mean, a lot of college football fans have kind of been wondering why Stetson Bennett's been the starting quarterback when you do have guys in that quarterback room who can throw the ball farther, who can make, you know, sometimes maybe not as, as good decisions as Stetson Bennett. Maybe that's why he played, but... Uh, bigger, faster, stronger arm and all that. So from a talent perspective, no doubt, Georgia will get an upgrade at the quarterback position, but Stetson Bennett obviously proved that he was the right guy for the job. Well, he uh, the mo- I was going to say, he had the moxie, Eric, yeah. um, and just kind of had that it factor. I'm fascinated, and I've been uh, waiting on this quarterback derby at Georgia, and I know we're going to move to the next question. Like, How does it play out? Because you really had three five-stars behind the former walk-on Stetson Bennett. Is Carson Beck get the job? He's the oldest of them, the most experienced as far as playing time. Brock Vandergriff, a lot of people expect him to take a huge step than Gunnar Stockton. If No matter who wins it, especially if it's Vandergriff, Carson Beck's not sticking around if Vandergriff wins. And I have a hard time seeing Gunnar Stockton sticking around because, I mean, think about how many, you know, you know it's, you're going to be, you know, once you kind of get locked in with Vandergriff, you're going to have him for the next couple of years. It's going to be really interesting to kind of see how that plays out. We'll move on to DMV Vol 1985. Will Tennessee continue to play one Power 5 out-of-conference game in 2024 and beyond? Is that going to continue to be an SEC requirement, uh, most likely, Brent? If they go to nine games, I don't see the SEC making that a requirement. Um, I, I just think that that's, 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 that's too much of an ask for some people. So I, I don't think you're going to see as many of those games. Will you see a made-for-TV neutral site game to kick off the season? You know, in some places, yeah, I think you'll still see some of those, but I don't think you'll see as many. And remember, too, Rob, with the 12-team playoff, you, you got a little more wiggle room. You don't have to have one of those now. Florida's got one with Florida State. Kentucky's got one with Louisville. South Carolina's got one with Clemson. But I don't know that a bunch of other schools in the league, Rob, are going to have one of those year in and year out. No, and I, I was going to bring that point up, Robert. It, it takes a lot of the risk out of it. If, with the 12 team playoff and say, I, in fact, I would say it, it eliminates the risk. I mean, I think it I, maybe it doesn't totally eliminate it, but it really mitigates the downside that you have of being worried about taking a non-conference loss. Um, you know, when the playoff just tripled in, in, in size, I mean, there's still incentives. I mean, you still, you know, might be thinking about, you know, getting that buy into the second round or, or hosting the home game. But I, I think that that took a lot of the downside away and, you know, made it at least, more palatable for, for teams to, you know, from Alabama to play USC and in the Jerry Dome or something like that. I just don't think there's as much of a risk involved now. Uh, you know, one slip up in August that's going to put you in the in the bind that it did previously. 
Yeah, I think you'll see those types of games, Austin, but I don't know about how many home and homes you're going to see. Where, I, mean, I think those are gone. Where you're going to travel. I, mean, I think, like, you know. I mean, you know, Tennessee said that. I mean, they knew that you know, when they set that Washington game up, Hubbard, I mean, they knew this was likely going to nine games. So, I mean, you know, I, I think you, you still see it occasionally, the home and home, but I think that they're few and far between. I mean, I'd say Tennessee will keep Nebraska. You know, that's been on there for a while. Um, and maybe, and who knows, maybe they try to get – or maybe both schools want to try to get out of that. But, it, you know, I just – I think that it'll be few and far between. Coaches don't want to do it. I mean, you hear – you talk to administrators, and they're the first to say, you know, I know everybody complains about neutral side games, but the coaches are really the ones that love those because it, you know, mitigates, you know, having to go into a hostile environment. You know, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> so you make more money. You don't have to go into a – you know, hostile environment, coaches are happy and, and ADs are happy, but I think fans for the most part would prefer to still have some of those uh, just because it is fun. But I think fans would much rather be in that college football playoff, which ends up getting you some, some of those type of games, whether that's Wisconsin or Boston College or whoever coming here or Tennessee going to Michigan or, you know, wherever. Here's the other thing too, Eric, is what does this thing look like after they go through a nine-game conference schedule for a year or so? You know, what, what, what is that? Does a, is a coach's viewpoint on it? Who's like, Hey, you know, I would like Nick Saban said, I want to play 10 conference games. Well, how do you feel after playing nine? You know, when you, when you do that for a year or two, does the thought process on scheduling change any after coaches go through the wear and tear of, of a nine game season? Maybe it doesn't, maybe it does. I, I think that's why that's a little bit of flux there for what 27, 28 looks like. Uh, and Lord knows the SEC is going to have enough money to get out of any game they want to get out of if they don't want to play them. And, but Hubbard, how might have the national championship game played out differently had Georgia not caught the Citadel in, in week 10 instead of Texas? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been very different. As just as Sonny Dykes, right? That was the whole key is they got that tune up against the Citadel late. <laughs> you talk about it. You talk about a horrible comment to say there. I mean, and you knew it would come back to bottom too, and didn't know it would come back to bottom as bad as it did in the national championship game. But man, um, of course, he made that a couple of weeks before. I, I think on the schedule, I, just my opinion, I think there's no way they, you know, continue to, to mandate an out of conference game. You know, when you're adding another conference game, expanding the the conference schedule to begin with, I just I don't see that happening. And, and again, you know, some schools can you know pick and choose if they want to continue those those end of the season rivalries that we've been talking about. But I don't think it'll be mandated for everybody. I don't think the league's going to mandate in a 12-game no. season when nine-number conference games. Yeah. Let's go to the hardwood now. I hard balls. Rob Lewis, this is for you. How worried should Tennessee be 25 games into the season that there's no set rotation for this basketball team? And why wouldn't they get Toby Awaka some significant playing time in the pre-conference schedule to get him ready? Uh, start with Toby. I mean, I don't think they knew what they had in Toby until they went to Maryland. They had to play him 17 minutes or went to New York to play Maryland. And had to play him 17 minutes out of necessity. I mean, he, I mean, he was good in practice, but I mean, it wasn't like he, you know, just was a kid that demanded, you know, that, that he get more playing time. And I think that it was an eye opener um, when they saw him out there. But they, 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 they liked him more than they thought they would even, even back in August. But, uh, but he's been, a, he's been a pleasant surprise. And, and as far as the rotation, I mean, I, the only thing that's not set is, you know who's getting the most minutes at the five every night. I mean, guys know what their roles are. I wouldn't say the rotation isn't set. Guys know how many minutes they're going to get for for the most part. And, and what's going to fluctuate is between Jonas, Tobe, and, and Yoroshi, you know, what the matchup looks like, how productive they're being. And, you know, other than 
you know, somebody really just having an off night and have their playing time effect, affected. I would I would disagree. I would not say that the rotation is set because the minutes are pretty much set and guys know what they're going to expect. What you might see differently is Jonas may come in first one night or, you know, Tobey may come in first one night. But, um, you know, Zakai knows how much he's going to play. Tyreek Key has a good idea of how much he's going to play off the bench, et cetera. Yeah, the only the only surprise potentially there is Jamal Meshack, right, Rob? And, and that that's been dictated a bit by by injury, um, you know, with, with guys there, and you know they've spotted him. Some games played more than others. That one guy whose minutes seemed to be a little bit more on a yo-yo based on matchup, based on how he's practiced that week compared to some other guys on this team. Fair or not fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. It also you know depends a little bit on the matchups they're seeing. You know, do they need a bigger guard, you know, out there? Do they want, you know, Jemai out there with with Josiah and, and Julian instead of Tyreek or Santiago because of, you know, because of something defensively? Do they want to give him more run? But I would say that's that's the only one that really fluctuates outside of the big guys who I think they fluctuate because they're all inconsistent. Let's go to Atlanta Vol 1976. Understanding that this is a dead period, do the Vols have momentum with any out-of-state targets? Sure, they have uh, they have momentum with a few guys, whether it be Ryan Wingo, um, you know Jordan Marshall, um, you know they, I think they have you know even some momentum with the guys like Kamarion Franklin and, and and Bryce Young. That doesn't mean they're landing them. Like I, I think that when those kids took visits to Tennessee, especially you know Young, uh, Franklin, um, you know Wingo's been filling Tennessee going back to the fall. Jordan Marshall, same thing, um, but. You know, when you when you you know kind of look at you know those out of state kids, it just feels like Tennessee is in a much better place than they were a month ago with them. That doesn't mean you're landing them or they're committing anytime soon, though. So again, it depends on what kind of momentum you're talking about. Momentum as in trying to get one across the finish line and and get a commitment. No, momentum as in becoming a real force and a, a real contender for said kids. Absolutely. And that'll depend on what some guy. I mean, the, how much momentum you have to me depends on which guys come back for spring practice. You know, yeah. who comes back and looks at you on an unofficial visit. I mean, you look at a guy like uh, Jeremiah Beasley that that Chad Simmons had a story on on um, on Wednesday. You know, he's been here. Talk about coming back. He was going to commit in March. He's moved it back to June. Michigan's trying to make a push there. Michigan State's there. Tennessee's there. You know, it feels like Tennessee's got some momentum, Austin, but to really have momentum, they need to get him back for another time. And, and to me, that will dictate a lot about kind of who some of these out-of-state co- out guys, is it real or is it not real? And, and part of that will be dictated by do we see them on campus again sometime this spring or early I, summer? Absolutely. A guy like Jaden Riddell, tied in from Missouri. You know, uh, that's another perfect example. He told me he's coming back in the month of March. Um, he was close to committing uh, during the season last year, and if he had, it would probably would have been Tennessee. Tennessee has got a lot of momentum uh, with him, um, but again, you know, getting a kid to pull the trigger, you know, is is, is difficult. There were going to be kids that pulled him in December; they pushed it back. There were going to be kids in in February; they pushed him back. I still think there are probably as a, as a, a pretty good shot that Tennessee ends up getting one before the end of the month, and uh, you know. But again, it's recruiting, it's fluid. The biggest thing is you want to continue to get all these kids, as Hubs just said, on your campus more and more and more. So you have them in January, you have them again in March, 
you know, you get them back in for summertime. The more you can get them here, the better chance you have with them. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's move on now to volunteer for life. Uh, A baseball question. We've seen articles on the starting lineup. What about the bullpen? How strong do you feel it is who will be our closers, middle relief, et cetera. Um, yeah, by the time that this podcast comes out, uh, my pitching preview should be out there. Uh, but in terms of like long relief, I mean, Tennessee's got some really good options. So, you know, Seth Halverson um, is a guy that can do pretty much any role Tony Vitello, Frank Anderson asked him to do in Tennessee's staff. He can come in and start a game. He's healthy right now. He's throwing hard. He's, he's being confident. Tony Vitello spoke about how he's physically gotten bigger since being on campus. A uh, former Friday night starter in the SEC, and he's healthy. So Seth Halverson is a long relief guy. Uh, Candom Sewell is a long relief guy. Of course, we've seen his work. He can be used in a number of different areas. And then Tennessee will have some other options there. You know, middle relief, you know, those guys can come in there. Kirby Connell, you know, Wyatt Evans, a lot of those guys. And then as far as closers and back end and, you know, Jake Bimby, Jacob Bimby is another guy. But um, Andrew Lindsay is a name that we're going to know a lot this baseball season. He's the one that – you know, pitched at Charlotte's and then took a year off, pitched in the Appalachian League this past summer. He's here now. He can start if they need him to. He's likely to come in and kind of be a stopper. Uh, really hard-throwing guy. Zach Joyce is another one. Zach has not been. He does not throw as hard. Uh, he throws more pitches, but he's going to be a guy as well. I think, and of course, we'll see how it plays out, guys. Um, I think Tennessee's bullpen is, is deep. And, and when I spoke with Tony Vitello, Brent, last week, uh, Tony even said that he feels confident in saying going into a season – this is as deep as they've been in terms of pitchers here while he's been at Tennessee. Yeah, and Frank Anderson does a good job keeping that that staff not only ready but a little bit off guard, right? So so that you have to be ready for any given situation that you're put in. That they since he's been here, they haven't always had just the stopper, you know, the guy that they they throw the ball to in the ninth inning, you know, um, that they, they you know they have they've had it some, but they haven't had it every year that they've been there. I'll be curious to see if somebody emerges as that guy, you know, that, that the guy that everybody's looking down there in the bullpen in the eighth inning, you know, to see, or the seventh inning to see if he's getting loose because you know, it's his time on Friday night to close out a game or on, on Saturday to close out a game. We know Sunday games, a lot of times are by committee. Sometimes Tennessee has the good fortune with their starters that they shouldn't be by committee if everybody stays healthy, but do they have that one guy that emerges that they say, okay, ninth inning, close it out balls yours go get it done do do they develop one of those guys here over the first month of this season I think that's going to be the fascinating thing about this baseball team from from the bullpen to the the outfield to the you know just the catcher the the whole lineup deal I mean he Tony Vitello may play a different lineup the first 14 games of the season 
yeah. before he ever figures out what they're going to do, Eric. I mean, he's got a lot of flexibility. I will say this to, to Eric's point about Andrew Lindsay. I had, you know, a chance to sit down with, you know, Griffin Merritt. I had a chance to sit down with Jared Dickey earlier in the week. And both those guys, they were talking about how they've been rocking the starters. The one guy that they struggle with is Andrew Lindsay. And they were really singing his praises. You go back to Eric sat down with the, the, the three starting pitchers back in the fall. What was the name they brought up? Andrew Lindsay. So to me, that's the one I'm most fascinated to see because everybody, hitters, pitchers, Tony Vitello, keep talking about this one kid. So I'm uh, that's the one I'm most intrigued to see. Yeah, and it all starts this weekend, starts tomorrow. And last thing on this, and we'll move on. But to Brent's point, and Tony even said this earlier in the week, he was like, you know, we kind of said there's going to be a lot of lineup flexibility and all that last year, but we really knew exactly kind of what that order was going to be. He said the two and the six hole in the order – didn't really kind of know at that point, but they knew everything else. He said, truthfully, you know, the, the, going into this year, there's so many different options depending on matchups and, and, and a lot of type of stuff to where you could have three or four different leadoff hitters. Um, you know, I wanted, before the season started, to sit down and kind of make a prediction on, you know, who's going to bat where in the order, but there really is just too many different possibilities, and I think you'll see a lot of that changing over the course of this weekend as well. So uh, we'll have to see. Let's go to CN31, uh, back to the basketball. Does Meshack need more minutes down the stretch? I get he is not a consistent offensive player, but at times he has shut down the opposing team's best player. A, big, a bit of a give and take there. A lot of time for Triple J and Phillips to get completely healthy. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, I mean, he just said it best. I mean, it's a give and take when I mean, some nights you're almost playing four on five on offense. Um, and I think it depends on who else you have out there with him on offense. You know, I, I like Jemai a lot, and I have no problem playing big minutes. But, but right now he's really limited offensively. You just see teams they don't respect him from three at all. I mean, you saw Missouri at least once. I can remember vividly just play off to the point where he had to take one uh, on Saturday, and it, it wasn't close. And so, you know, I, I think Jemai's got a bright future. But I mean, the the poster himself said it best. There's just a trade off offensively right now but yeah with, with the way things are with josiah and um and julian uh at the moment he is going to play a lot how, how would you compare him to stanley assume new as far as offensive games and that's not i'm being serious like to me there's a lot of stanley, yeah, stanley leaper but probably maybe an inch or two taller than jamai but how would you compare the two yeah i mean at this stage i wouldn't say that they're they're dissimilar but i would say jamai seems to have a much 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 better feel for the game than Stanley did. I would think he could he could get better. And and, and Eric Stanley assumed it was a, was a Tennessee basketball player. Yes, I remember in, in the early early two thousands. Hey, how does this compare? Is he a Udonis Haslam Miami Heat? I think he's still playing. I don't know. You, if you don't remember Udonis Haslam as as the doughboy at Florida, then we can't even <laughs> talk about Udonis Haslam. I know this Haslam is, is being. Would you have known that he was a Florida graduate, Eric? Nope, no chance. I know him as a Heat guy. He's been there since what? Would like? you have known that he he weighed what? Hubbard, what do you think? Two eighty, two seventy. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, on on a on a light day, on a light wow. day at one point, he was uh, he was a um, he, he was, was a low. He, he did was, not leave the low post. He did no, not leave the paint. <laughs> That's exactly. No, right. I think I remember. He was there right before Joe Kim, right? Or maybe there was a bit of a crossover. I think I remember he was that. There I just before, run... before those teams, yes. I know Haslam was there in 06 with the Miami Heat when they won that title, and he's still there. <laughs> Eric, what 
what other sport at Tennessee did Stanley assume to play? Did play he try to play? Wide receiver. Try to, he practiced at wide receiver. I remember that. Yeah, there you go. All right. Woo. Good job, Barry. Yeah, it would break the GQ if Jamon Ashek came out for spring practice this year, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be the but kind he, of he basketball eligibility is over, and then he comes back for the, the fifth year of, of an extra sport. Or how about Tobe Owaka comes out for hey. play, play old defensive end? Oh, he'd get broke, wouldn't he? He'd he, he, he have put on a little bit of weight, right? Play defensive Tobe's, end right now? Tobe is. I He's don't know. Sick. Greg Paulus at Duke went and played quarterback at Syracuse. Played four years at Duke, went and played quarterback at Syracuse one year. He was awful. Uh, let's go to a scheduling question. Nashville 615, uh, SEC 63 scheduling question. What are you laughing at? <laughs> You're trying to earn your street cred dropping some random sports fact at, 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 as you roll from Greg one question Paulus. to the next. Like, like anybody gives our donkey's rear end about Greg Paulus and Duke and Syracuse. Four-year point guard and then one played quarterback. I know uh, he was. He actually happened to be a five-star quarterback in high school. That's right. EC, no. I don't know if you if you remember that part. He was an All-American. <laughs> oh man! But he played uh, basketball. That's priceless. <laughs> All right. Scheduling question: If Kentucky and Vanderbilt rank Tennessee as their number one rival, but they're fourth or fifth for the Vols, how does that work? What if ESPN pushes to preserve Tennessee, Florida over lower-rated historical games? I, I think. This, I mean, here's the fascinating debate: is who all has a say? Right, because everybody wants to say at the table, right? Athletic directors, you know, coaches. Does TV have any kind of say? You know, the the, the Greg Sankey has come out and said, you know, we're, we're we want to preserve you know some rivalries, but he has not made a declaration that said we will preserve all of the big rivalries. That, that you know, because he also made a statement, you know, you create new rivalries when you when you change things around. So, um, again, I mean, I. I would think that they were a good ways down the road in figuring all of this out because you know this was coming, which is why I think they get there in the spring. But once they get there, Rob, there's going to be there's going to be some, what's the Seinfeld the airing of grievances. There's going to be some public airing of some grievances once they get there because there is no way on the planet you're going to make everybody in this league happy oh, when you throw out two or three years. December twenty third. Oh, the airing of grievances. Yes, December twenty third. We're, we're going to have a spring version of that in the SEC because there are going to be some hot people. When when whatever's done comes out, somebody's not going to be happy. No, I mean, I, I don't have anything to add other than say I think you're 100% right. And there's going to be multiple somebodies. Heck, there might be 16 somebodies that aren't completely happy. That's probably the best that Greg say he can hope for. He's got 16 people that are mildly dissatisfied. You know, you're just not going to be able to do it. I mean, it's just, and I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I wonder, Hubbard, if there's going to be some language about, you know, permanent, but not really permanent. Let's see how this goes for, you know, five years, you know, see, and, you know, see what it, see what the impact has been, see how happy everybody is, see what it looks like for, you know, competitive balance. I got a couple here from Atheron. It'd be like the, uh, be like the TWS AA reshuffling regions every two years in high school football in the state of Tennessee. No, this team's good this year. We're gonna we're gonna move on and we're gonna redo we're gonna redo this one and, and reshuffle that one. I, I have a hard time seeing the Kentucky Tennessee one not happen, Austin. I, I mean, I may be wrong, but I mean that's that's a big rivalry for Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't have a bunch of big rivalries in this league. 
I have a hard time seeing Tennessee and Kentucky not play. I could be end up being wrong, but that one's hard for me to not see happen. No, I mean, I'm with you, man. I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, not to interrupt you, I, I, I'm with you. I just think ultimately, you know, you, you've got to find the middle ground for some schools. I mean, if Kentucky doesn't get Tennessee, what are they getting? Missouri, South. I mean, South Carolina is no rival to Kentucky. Like it just. I mean, like you're right. I mean, like it just. It seems like it's a. It's a natural fit to put Tennessee with Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Alabama. Those are, you know, two old-school traditional rivalries. And then, you know, the third Saturday in October stands alone. So, you know, you know, the, if they're going to keep Tennessee, Kentucky, they got to bring back the beer barrel. And if they do that, I bet Danny White will not – he will not say a word. <laughs> in, in the in the conference room, <laughs> at best. He, he'll be the he might be the one out of out of sixteen that walks out happy because that yeah he's the I, cat that he's the cat that ate the canary right Rob I mean I almost I mean it is a fit it's a it's a it's the perfect fit for Tennessee but it it, it is not fair to the rest of the league if Tennessee's catching Vandy and, and Kentucky every year I mean the, the two are, are they not I don't know about I know Kentucky has has had some good years but historically the two worst teams in this league probably not close. Uh, they're right there, yeah. I mean, no question. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it would be a huge break for Tennessee if that if that happens. I just, again, Eric, I think the big question is how how focused are they on preserving rivalries? I mean, some of them you have to keep, right? I mean, you're not going you're not going to abolish the Egg Bowl or the Iron Bowl. I don't think the third Saturday in October, the 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 world's largest cocktail outdoor whatever we're calling that thing now. Um, those have to be preserved, right? I mean, the Red River rivalry, you're not going to get away with that one. But what's the number? Is there five of those you're going to preserve? Six? You know, is there 10? I mean, what, what are you looking at there, I, I think, is, is is the interesting question in this debate. And, and Rob's I mean, right. You know, Kentucky, very similar to the Niagara Purple Eagles of the Metro Atlantic Athletic Association, where Greg Paulus is the current head coach. Um, you know, they, they kind of went from, you know, a team that didn't have a lot of success to now they're, you know, they're having a little more success, a little over 500, um, those type things. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like if Tennessee well, can do what others just said and get Kentucky, get Vanderbilt, you know, Alabama's Alabama. It's you, the decade of the Vols. You're, I don't know if it's the decade of the Vols, but you're still, at the end of the day, you're still going to play every right. year, some combination of Georgia. Florida, right. LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, it's not – I mean, yeah, they get two easy ones or easier ones, but, like, you're still going to play a ridiculous schedule that, I mean, when you start looking at it on paper, you're like, man, how is anybody going to go undefeated in this league? That'll be a, a feat in itself to get undefeated in this league. Yeah, but AP, can Kentucky keep it up when they lose the spiritual successor to Greg Paulus and Will Levis? I don't know if they can sustain it. Well, they got to go out. They got to go out and, and flip it to the North Carolina side of the rivalry. They got to go out and find a Ronald Curry. Ronald Curry. But I mean, compare. I mean, and I'm sure there are multiple examples of this. But can, if Tennessee catches Vandy, Kentucky, as two of their three, and and Georgia, or Auburn catches Georgia and Alabama as two of their three, and by that logic, Georgia would keep Florida. I mean, if if you're like like you said, Hubbard, where does it stop? Right. You know, where where do you? Where do you draw the line on? Well, we got to protect these, but this school has two of those. This school has one of them. By the way, Michael Vick, Ronald Curry in the same class in the state of Virginia, Eric Kane. That's 
why the ball's got to get back to recruiting the state of Virginia. <laughs> and, and hopefully, after seeing Cam Selden in spring practice, Josh Heupel and everybody's like, you yeah, know, to get back up there in Virginia a little bit more. I think if a rivalry game is named, you got to keep it no matter what. Like, that should be the starting point. And I get it. Tennessee Vanderbilt doesn't really have a name. You know, the state championship, maybe. I don't know. But, <laughs> like, I, I don't – I mean, it doesn't have a name. But, like, you know, the egg, iron, beer barrel, you know, all, you know, all that type of stuff. Like, you got, you got to start there. Got uh, has got a couple here. Thoughts on Mike Bobo to Georgia as <laughs> offensive coordinator. Well, you know, Hubs brought this up earlier, and, and I thought it was a good point. Um, Bobo's never really had the talent that he has or that he will have at Georgia um, this time around. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit there and knock the hire. Now, at the end of the day, Bobo's always kind of been tied to Will Friend. And and Will, who, you know, has just struggled to recruit, you know, the offensive line a little bit in recent years. And so I think that's been part of the kind of the the hurt with the success, um, you know, for, you know, Bobo's offenses. So, you know, I think getting away and kind of having, you know, a different set of offensive assistants around you can be a positive for Mike Bobo. So I'm not going to sit there and say that they're not going to be any good on offense because I think there's going to be so much talent you can overcome that. They've got to they've got to keep going in the trenches because what, what – in his first run at Georgia, I think – I saw this in a story yesterday. He had one draft pick a fifth round selection on the offensive line during Bobo's tenure as offensive coordinator at Georgia. But now from, from a skill position standpoint, you have AJ Green, Matthew Stafford, um, Aaron Murray, no Sean Marino, um, a whole bunch of guys who, who came through there. He had some skill guys. They just, they weren't physical enough in the line of scrimmage. Georgia's mentality has changed offensively in terms of their physicality and what they want to do since Bobo was there as the OC the last time. So so we'll we'll see how it works. I think his first challenge is managing a quarterback room. Todd Munkin did a did a great job managing that quarterback room. I mean, yep. to keep all those guys there while Stetson Bennett was out, you know, the former walk-on being the guy and, and to keep all those guys around, he deserves a ton of credit for what he did with that offense that way and managing those quarterbacks. And that'll be the first challenge Bobo has this spring. Don't you think maybe it was just an example of Kirby Smart people saying – Kirby Smart has won two national championships. He just in a row just went undefeated. He keeps signing top three recruiting classes. He could not possibly piss off this Georgia fan base. <laughs> and Kirby Smart says, "Hold my beer." <laughs> just wait. Yeah, it wasn't a beloved hire, that's for sure, by the Georgia fans. But but again, you he he's had the same offensive line coach, the same a few of the same assistants around him at different stops along the way. That won't be the case here, right? I mean, think about Bobo. Bobo was going to go the be the OC at Mississippi State six weeks ago, and now he's the OC at oh, uh, the defending. The I, I think we're getting ready to see a great argument for Hubbard's what, uh, uh, what Hubbard just brought up a little while ago: the Jimmies and Joes versus the X's and O's. I expect Mike Bobo to have a ton of success. <laughs> yeah, because of a lot of Jimmies and Joes. All right, a few more here from Athron. Um, here's one on baseball. Vols baseball, the odds-on betting favorite to win the College World Series. Depends on where you look at it. FanDuel, they're second behind LSU. I think you're talking about uh, DraftKings there. Uh, do you like that or not? Target will be on the back all offseason long or all season long. Uh, guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it doesn't matter where Tennessee's plays, they're going to find something to, to make them the underdog. And even when they were atop the polls for, what was it, nine, ten weeks last year, 
I mean, that didn't affect him. I understand how the season ended, of course, but uh, you know that that didn't affect him whatsoever. So, I think hey, that they're fine wherever yeah. they're at in the rankings, and they're going to find a reason to play hard. Yeah, and Tennessee could be ranked 128th. They would find a chip on their shoulder, and I promise you, they would have a target on their back because I mean, they are not the most beloved group of individuals who walk who, who are walking around the baseball diamond. I, I promise you Arkansas could care less what their ranking is. Arkansas is not going to be more motivated to play Tennessee because they're a preseason anything. There's a lot of people, you know, would, would love, would love to beat Tennessee. Um, so th- they've got it. They're going to have a target on their back uh, as long as the mentality in this program was where it's at. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think that's the way it is. I, I think you will see them be more reserved this year because the group of players on this team um, are, 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 you know, are different and they probably are a little more reserved in real life. That doesn't matter. The the bat flip from the Grand Slam th- three years ago is will still be paying. You know, as far as like the bullseye three four years from now, like it, you know, the, all the guys that were on that team a year ago, you know, talking trash, bat flip, and all that stuff. This this current group will be hearing about those guys this year, and they know that. I've talked to those guys about that. Mm-hmm. They 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 understand that like they're going to get everybody's best shot because of how demonstrative they were a year ago. They also got a new locker room, a revised weight room, and a third-party deck because of those guys as well. So it kind of goes both ways. And (laughs) And they're going to get a new stadium. Yeah, and a new stadium. Uh, Any early information coming out of uh, winter workouts leading up to spring practice, guys? Anything you're hearing about the the workout groups? I mean, I just continue to hear that, you know – the, the freshmen, the newcomers that come in have, have, have jumped right in, seem to have blended in well, seem to have fit in well. I, I think you're going to see guys continue to add weight. I mean, I think Elijah Herring looks better. You still hear every day, Austin, Dante Thornton does something, right? And yeah. I mean, he, he's he's the catch me out right now that, that's got everybody's, you know, the buzz on everybody going uh, on both sides of the ball kind of right now. I don't think that's because of he's a, he's a workout warrior just because of his skill set, but – um, you know, I, I think this team understands what they're supposed to do. And I think they're, they're, you know, pretty good mentality going on right now. And I, I think they're getting ready for a very competitive spring, which is something we haven't seen here the last couple of years. You're exactly right. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be interesting just to kind of see the competition this spring. They're a lot, a lot healthier than they have been and a lot deeper rostered than they've had uh, for those 15 spring practices uh, in a long time. Well, we got a hoops question here from Sam Smith. How does Tennessee counter Kentucky's plan of making the Tennessee five beat them, the center position? Uh, which Tennessee big matches up best with Oscar Sheebway? Personally, I mean, I, I think if you go back, you wouldn't think so, but if you go back to last year's game at Thompson Bowling Arena when Tennessee routed him, Jonas Adu gave him fits, and Jonas hadn't played. I mean, it, was, it was really the first time Jonas played meaningful minutes after Olivier. Um, went down. I like that matchup. I like Tobey on him. I think you have to watch out for foul trouble with, with Tobey out there because of how physical both of them play and, and Shibway being a little more savvy uh, about getting away with it. And, you know, it, a lot was made about Kentucky making Tennessee's five beat him. I mean, that's everybody does that. I mean, John Calipari is not some rocket scientist that figured out that, you know, hey, Santiago and Zakai and you know, Josiah James are better players than Euros Plastic and 
and Olivier Camois. So, I mean, that's t- Tennessee fights that every single game. I mean, that's not more, nope. much more was made of that than, than should have been. Yeah, nobody nobody's playing help defense on the Tennessee five. Yeah. I mean, nobody's just, game planning to to stop those dudes. Yeah, I mean, they're not doubling in the post, and and so what what teams are doing is they're just not leaving shooters. Um, you know, good defenses are not leaving shooters. Now you had some breakdowns, you know, against you know Missouri in the second half. You know, they they let some some perimeter jump shots get away and get some open looks there. But good defenses are are just playing it straight up, and and they're going to play it straight up the rest of the way because Tennessee's five, they're bigs, can't force anybody to say, hey, we've got to come help, and and we or we've got to double somebody, or or we've got to hedge in some way. Um, they just they don't have to play that way against them, and and that's you know that's the because of the inconsistency of that position. That's why teams are playing them the way John Calipari drew so much praise for playing Tennessee, as Rob mentioned. And the one, the last time, no coincidence, the last time they did, the five-man did play well offensively. When Olivier's against Texas is the last time Tennessee scored over 70 points or 80-plus points until Missouri. All right, we get, let's get one more. We already told some Gus Manning stories earlier in the week. Already hit on Mike Bobo. Had one from Nashville 615 earlier. Now we have Nashville Vol 615. Uh, what does a typical day for a football player look like right now for this month in terms of meetings, workouts, et cetera? Uh, guys, I know it depends on the day, but typically kind of what's a day look like for them? Well, those guys right now, I mean, it's workouts. It's it's heavy workout stuff, morning workouts for, for those guys because their class schedule, they go to school in the afternoon. Um, so it's morning workouts. Um, a lot of times they come back in the evening and can do some meetings. There's some limitations on some of the time that you can spend, but the NCAA – did relax that a few years ago and, and allow coaches to to have more meetings with them. But a lot of these guys are watching film on their own or they're watching as groups uh, with offensive analysts, defensive analysts. Um, in, in addition to, to working with, with coaches, coaches can be present at workouts. Uh, and then you're trying to make sure you stay on top of your school. This is a big semester. I mean, you got 15 practices in there, Austin. But this is this is a semester a lot of guys are taking – a harder, harder electives or harder classes in their major right now because you don't put that burden on them in the fall when you're in the midst of the 20-hour rule and get ready for games each and every week. So I'm not saying football takes a back seat, but your your balance is a little different in the spring than it is the fall academically. Yeah, no doubt. And and so you know you know with all that you know knowing all that you know it's 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 a tougher juggle, um, for kids. And so it, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, trying to get into your major and you've got some tougher classes, um, you know, and you, you're also trying to find a way to get into, you know, the, the starting rotation at your position, it, it, it's a, it's a pressure packed month and a half. All right. I think we have to do the mailbag at the time of this recording. So job well done to us. Appreciate you guys for sending in those questions as you do each and every week. Uh, Rob Lewis, Austin Price, Brent Hubs. I am Eric Kane. So, and Ronald Curry. Yeah. And Greg Paulus. And everybody else we mentioned here on today's show. Hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video. It helps us uh, get out there to more Tennessee fans. Subscribe to the channel. That helps us out tremendously. So we appreciate that. Um, and as always, big thanks to our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions who make this pos- this podcast possible. You guys can get a free estimate by giving them a call at 865-524-5888 to give them a call today. For the guys here on the Ball Quest Podcast, appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll see you on Tuesday for another edition of the BQ Pod. You've 
been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.